Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton here with Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hello, Jenna. Hello. And Dr. Brian Goff. Hi, Brian. Hey, Sheila. Um, this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And we come from the perspective that all of us exist along a landscape of mental health experiences. So let's talk about it. Um, Jenna, I had said earlier in the week, one of the things I really wanted to talk about was politics. And you said, yes. <laughs> Why so? What are you guys seeing in your practices that makes you think this is an important topic to be coping with right now? I have not since 9-11 had so many people come in and first thing they talk about, it, sometimes on a week-by-week -week basis, but but just I don't think I've had since then so many people paying attention to the political events or world events since then. Wow. So that's an interesting thing to say. It's almost as if we're under attack because that's the same fear that you're seeing in your clients. People talk about just feeling completely bombarded wow. or lost or what's the future going to hold for us. It's It's really dramatic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's coming from a lot of different sources. It's all of the kind of vitriol that is in politics. And then it's also getting bombarded with messages about the future being scary and unpredictable. And so all this information about climate change and feeling like, oh my God, are we even going to have a world in 50 years or 20 years? And then things like, are we going to have a nuclear war? Like I think every many, many people are just feeling on existential edge. Yeah. yeah. And I think then in addition to maybe as a whole people feeling on existential edge, I do think that there are especially particular groups of people that are legitimately feeling as if their life is being threatened because it is being threatened. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to acknowledge that Yes, there are these existential concerns and it's so psychologically painful to be in these climates of vitriol and hostility. And then there are people who, you know, as a white woman in America, you know, I feel like I can kind of walk out here and generally be safe. There are people who are walking out and fear that people are going to kill them That's or right. want to kill them. That's right. Because of that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about some of the psychological, relational and physical impacts of being so bombarded with this political divisiveness and hostility. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think it can range from any of the signs of intense anxiety. So those are things like people's sleep is getting disturbed. They become more irritable, which of course only makes the situation worse if right. you're feeling more irritable about all of these things. Um, people are talking about changes in their appetite. They're hypervigilant and kind of over alert. They can even go into a shutdown mode where they say, fuck it all. I'm, you know, my favorite one is I'm moving to Canada, except now things are messed up in Canada too. But, you know, wanting to just right. run away from everything, it's having huge impacts on people's relationships. Relationships are getting severed because of this. And it's actually having an impact on people's physical well-being. We know that our immune systems get compromised when we're under these high levels of stress. You know, our bodies aren't supposed to 
be uh, exposed to all of that cortisol all of the time. Yeah. And so there are real impacts. I, I want to ask you about that hypervigilance because most of the people that I know that are experiencing extreme anxiety because of the political firestorm pay so much attention to the news. They turn on the TV the moment they get home. They feel as if they cannot miss a CNN headline that they're right. blinging on their phones. They're constantly acting as if there's something they can do to control the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's difficult to get that many push notifications about in, really in bad day. news that you right. have no control over. And and in some ways, my experience of it is is that all of the push notifications feel like they are uh, equally threatening, equally distressing, equally important. Right, it's pretty overwhelming. Well, it's also as a, as a reflection of a person who's been in the media for so long. Your job is to make it seem like it is the most important news you are hearing that day. And so you're supposed to present the news with the same sort of intensity. So there, there is a way in which that constant assault, because even the news doesn't moderate, and it's even become right. more yelly, more crosstalky, more pressured. It, it doesn't help people's sense of well-being. Because nobody comes on and said, hey, pretty good day. We're doing all right. Right. <laughs> right. Everybody good? Yeah. Absolutely. Nobody starts their news program like that, right? right. We, which actually reminds me, everybody should go out and listen to the old Loudon Wainwright song, Pretty Good Day So Far. Uh-huh. Uh, when, you're, when you're feeling very overwhelmed by the political climate, yeah. pull out that old song. It's a wonderful one. Well, I also do want to talk about some of the ways that people can begin to self moderate. Of course, if you're feeling the kind of anxiety that you're describing, you might need professional help, but there's got to be ways of, you know, intervening in one's own life. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And I think the the key balance here is you want to stay informed. It's not going to be helpful for anybody, any of us, if we all bury our head in the sands. You want to stay informed, but you don't want to be sort of so overwhelmed that you go into that shutdown mode and you do feel like you're powerless because you're not powerless. We can do some things around the political situation or the climate situation, whatever the existential anxiety is. You can make some change, but you're not going to be able to do that if you're overwhelmed. And so some things that I tell myself and my clients are take digital breaks, have times when you don't have your phone on. And I don't just mean a few hours before you go to bed. I mean, take chunks of time, days, maybe even weeks when you aren't checking the internet. I personally, I haven't had a television in 15 years, in part because it felt like the combination of the visual stimuli and the auditory stimuli was too much for me when it came to the news. And so I just choose to get my news on the radio. So at least I'm limiting the kind of stimuli that's bombarding me. Right. And people can do that sort of things. Turn off the push notification. Yeah. If it's important enough, have a period of time when you look at, you know, whatever your news feed is, look through all of the news feeds to say, okay, I know where we are today and then have it be done for the day. Right. Yeah. I do have a television. I've had one every year for the last 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) But I watch very, very little news. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Very little news. Mm -hmm. Uh, I usually have push notifications disabled on my phone and I don't think I have any apps other than, well, Instagram, I suppose, because my dog has an Instagram account. Uh, I don't. 
He does. <laughs> he doesn't post very often. Though. I don't have any apps on my phone that have streaming content so that I can just continue mm, to look yeah, at yeah, stuff, yeah. Oh, whether it's social smart. media or that's news. A good one, yeah. And I listen to a daily podcast that here's the news for the day. Yes. And, it's, and it's maybe 15 minutes. Yeah. Yes. And as far as really big events, very quickly, everyone around me knew about it. And I was told, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I figure I'm not going to miss any really significant moments that I would want to know immediately because the people around me are probably going to tell me. I also feel like it's really important, though, for people to do something that feels as if they're changing the political landscape. So whether it's having a dinner or a drink with someone with whom you disagree and deciding that you're still good people or volunteering for a candidate that you love or volunteering at a homeless shelter because you care deeply about the plight of people who don't have housing, like something with that energy, because you have to... admit that a lot of people have made it their full-time job to be political watchers and political feelers. And I'm carrying the stress of this nation for you in a way. And offloading that seems really important. I feel like if the information that's being taken in motivates me to do something that I haven't previously done, then it's pretty important information for me to bring in. Yeah. You know, if I look at my bank accounts and decide, wow, I need to be saving more money. So I make a decision to set aside a chunk of money every month that I'm saving. I don't want to look every single day at how big or small that particular bank account is. I've already made my decision. Right. I don't need to keep looking. Uh-huh. But I also really like what you've said about the going out to dinner with somebody who disagrees with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the idea of political discourse. I, I'm not a big fan of this of this you know, position that don't talk politics, don't talk religion. They're the most important topics to have, (laughs) but talk about them in the spirit of trying to understand as opposed to trying to convince. And when I try to understand why a friend of mine who views the world differently than I do, why they hold the position that they do Mm -hmm. and what's behind it, oftentimes I have a lot of sympathy for what is behind it, the motivation behind it, mm. even if I disagree with what they're endorsing as yeah. uh, as a stance or an action in response to that. Absolutely. And there are organizations, local organizations and more national organizations whose whole mission is to be able to help people with differing life experiences and perspectives and views have conversations this i mean there's a whole field called civil discourse Mm -hmm. and so being if if that's something that's of interest to you reach out to one of those organizations start participating in that way and this point that you made sheila about getting involved i so agree because if you're just consuming the information and not doing anything in response you're just sort of being a voyeur at that mm-hmm. point. And yeah. you're you're causing harm to yourself and you're certainly not helping anybody else. And so there's this uh, famous quote, I'm not able to remember all of it right now, but it's something like, it is certain that the life that you live will make an impact. Your job is to figure out what difference you want your life to have made and then go out and make that difference. Mm. Something like that. And so in many ways, it doesn't actually matter if the thing you want to be about is going to serve food at the homeless shelter or ensuring that there are sort of more equitable uh, distribution of resources or trying to heal some of the race relation um, uh, pains that we've had in our in our history. It doesn't matter what it is. 
do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great place to end it. I want to thank um, iHeart Studios. This is where we record Beyond Well, and it is brought to us by the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care and also Cedar Hills Hospital, our sponsors. Once again, if you have a review for us, we would love it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Bye.